Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Let me read the kind of the foundation for this entire series. It's Luke chapter 11, verse 17. Jesus said, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If you take division lightly, you cannot say you take unity seriously. Division is demonic, period, point blank. You're gonna see it in scripture. From the very beginning, the devil was dividing. When we are divisive, we destroy our credibility as followers of Jesus Christ. Your love for one another, Jesus says, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Satan knows the power of unity. This is his why behind being so divisive. And the more important unity in the church becomes, the more dead set the devil is on dividing it. As it relates to being a follower of Jesus Christ, there are two options. Your life's either gonna be all about you or all about him. The Spirit of God won't fill you up when you're already full of yourself. If we're going to live lives that are not about us, we have got to remember, point number one, you were crucified with Christ. One of the hardest parts of the Christian life is dying. But one of the best things about the Christian life is being dead. Can I just tell you, one of the secrets to the life that you deep in your soul know God created and fashioned you for. One of the biggest keys to experiencing that abundant life is death. How you stand is determined by your understanding of where you sit. When I operate in the flesh, I cannot be led by the Spirit. When you gave your life to Jesus, you became an ambassador for Christ. It's got to be all about Jesus. We're continuing our series this weekend on unity. And when we talk about unity, we need to understand one of the highest responsibilities given to the church involves reconciliation. The opposite of reconciliation is division. There are a couple of moments that I'm going to want you to really write down. You you may not always write down the one-liners, Uh, And even if you don't have a pen and paper to write, you can get out your phone and write these things down. Uh, There are a couple I really want you to write down, and this is one of them. The capital C church can either be known for division or reconciliation, but it cannot be known for both. The church can be known for division or reconciliation, but it cannot be known for both. Now, so that we have kind of an agreed upon understanding of division and reconciliation, division is the act of dividing, of of breaking two people apart, okay? Reconciliation is the act of bringing two people together, okay? Really simple, but really important to understand. Division is the act of breaking two people apart. Reconciliation is the act of bringing two people together. Of course, Since God has given the church the ministry of reconciliation, we're going to talk about that in a minute, of course the devil would try and do the exact opposite. 
The title of this message is The Message and Ministry of Reconciliation. The Message and Ministry of Reconciliation. And we're going to talk through, for many of you, this is, this is going to be revisiting something you already know. But after preaching this in the first service, here, here's how I felt. I felt like I spent the entire sermon telling a bunch of married people that they're actually married and they were like, yeah, I get it. I'm married. And I was going, do you realize you're married? Like you, you would, you're married. You're like the most unlovable human being on planet earth. And yet you're married. Yeah, I'm married. That, that's kind of how I felt. And, and I just want to pray as we get into this. I, I just, when we talk about the gospel, I just pray that we don't become immune to its power and importance. Well, Preston, how do I know I'm, I'm kind of, you know, getting weak on the gospel? Well, one of the biggest ways you know is when we talk about it, you're not moved by it any longer. I don't ever want to wake up in my marriage with my wife and be like, nah, I'm married. I want to wake up, and I know it's not all the time, and I definitely know it's not all the time on her side. She's married to me. Let's be real. I want to wake up and go, I'm married. And here's one of the craziest things. You know my story. I got totally rejected. A girl got engaged to someone else while I thought we were still dating. Like, that's rejection at the highest level. And it's because I understand how badly I was rejected that I still wake up and some nights still fall asleep and say to my wife, just like I did in the early days, I can't even believe you're married to me. I'm pretty sure Jesus doesn't want a bride who wakes up in the morning every morning and just goes, ah, we're married. May it never be so. So let's pray as we step into this message. God, please help us understand just how bad things were for us before you stepped in and solved our biggest problem. God, now more than ever, we need a moment-by-moment -moment awareness of your goodness and understanding your goodness involves remembering our badness and our separation from you and your unrelenting love to do what it took to spend forever with us. Jesus, would you light our hearts aflame again every time we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Christ's name, amen. Point number one. Only two points in this message. Point number one. Reconciliation is a message. Reconciliation is a message. Now, please don't get lost in this picture I'm about to paint, okay? I'm not trying to complicate things. I'm trying to remind us all uh, as the church that our message is the most important. Uh, in our country, you may be joining us online and watching us in another part of the world. In our country here in the United States of America, we are gearing up for an election on November the 3rd. And one of the ways you know we're gearing up for an election is what? When you're watching television, you begin to see countless commercials from candidates, right? And they're trying to get out 
a, a specific message, right? You see parties, the two different parties in this country, taking out ads to communicate their message. There are people in this country who are leading those parties, sitting around in a room, having a conversation about what is the message we want to send. And they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to do it. That's how strongly they believe in their message. But here's what I would like just to say to all of us. It will not be a political party or candidate that saves the earth from sin. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. Okay, thank you for the clapping, but you're not really clapping for me, you're clapping for Jesus. And if you really mean that clapping, here would be my question. Why are they more serious about a temporary political message than we are about an eternally saving message? It cannot be so. It cannot be so. I pray that it won't be so in this season of time. No president is going to save the earth from sin. Only the king can do that. And we are carriers of his message. Now, so that we all kind of have a, a little bit of a working understanding, when I use the term Christian, I know there are lots of different definitions, but I want to kind of give you a working definition of what I mean when I use the term Christian. If you're taking notes, write this down. A Christian is someone who is committed to the person of Christ, to the body of Christ, and to the work of Christ. That's a loaded theological definition right there. A Christian is someone who's committed to the person of Christ, to the body of Christ, and to the work of Christ. Now, I know for many, as we go through this first point, this is the gospel. All point number one is, is the message of the gospel. And I know for some of us, when we hear something we've already heard, we can have a tendency to just tune it out and go, I already know that. But here's what I would say. If that's your tendency, every time you hear the gospel is to flip off a switch and say, I already know that you don't know it well enough. It has not gotten a hold of your heart. It's simply become a stale message on a shelf that you have forgotten the power of. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter one is one of the passages. There are many that really illustrate the, the steps of this gospel message that are so incredible. And here's what I would say if, if you flip that switch, write this one liner down. Never get so far away from the gospel that your eyes no longer water when you ponder its how and why. If you really wanna know, if you are, are lit up by the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of the ways is does it move you? No matter how good or bad my personal presentation of the gospel is, that doesn't matter. Is your heart lit aflame when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Listen, why would anybody want in on what we're sharing if we're so blasé about it that we don't even think much about it? Let's all go back to the beautiful power of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. This is something, as believers in Jesus, we all agree upon. Not just the power of it, but our need for it. So 
Here's, we're just going to walk through a couple steps. I know we can do this a ton of different ways. Romans wrote all kinds of stuff. I'm going to use Colossians chapter one today. Just mix it up a little bit. Here's, here's the first thing. Jesus wasn't just some guy. When we talk about the gospel, we have to understand Jesus wasn't just some dude. Okay? He was not just some guy. He was not just some good guy prophet who walked the earth for 33 years. He was the son of God. Colossians chapter one, verse 19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ Jesus. Now, this Greek word here for fullness is the word pleroma. And it means the sum total of all the divine power and attributes. Okay, here's what that means. Jesus wasn't just some random person God picked to put his spirit into. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Jesus didn't just, as the son of God, cram himself into the womb of a woman. Go even further. Fully God, Jesus, the son of God, squeezed himself into an earthly embryo. Wrap your mind around that one for a minute. God, in all his fullness, the entirety of divine power, and attributes dwelled fully in Christ Jesus. This word dwell is an important word in the Greek. It doesn't just mean to reside in. It literally means to be at home permanently. You want a picture of who God is? Look at Jesus. The fullness of God dwelt within Jesus. Fully God, fully man. Andy Stanley says something that I love, and it's semi-sarcastic, and it's meant to kind of get uh, people's attention, especially the lost. He says it like this. Any man who predicts his own death and resurrection and then pulls it off is a man we should probably all listen to. I would agree with that sentiment. Absolutely. Anybody who predicts their death and resurrection then pulls it off actually does it. Maybe we should listen to just a little bit. Jesus wasn't just some guy. Okay, now, a lot of people, when, when they share the gospel with people, the first sentence, they, they kick off the conversation. The first sentence is about sin. And let me just remind you, sin is not the beginning of the gospel. Jesus is. Jesus is the beginning and the end of the gospel, not sin. Don't start off a conversation with a lost person just going after the jugular of, you know how bad you are. No, no, no. We start off the conversation with the goodness of God. For God so loved the world for God was so incredibly amazing and so in love that he gave his only son. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish. Okay, help me understand why the most famous verse in all of humanity talks more about the goodness of God than the badness of man. Jesus wasn't just some guy. He was the son of God. He's the beginning of the conversation. 
Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Here's the second part of this message of reconciliation. Sin separated man from God. Sin separated man from God. If you want to know God's heart for relationship with man, look no further than the Garden of Eden before the fall. If you ever want to try and explain to someone just how badly God wants relationship with them and just what kind of relationship God wants to have with them, take them all the way back to the Garden of Eden before the fall. God was communing with man constantly without hindrance. I get that we just read that and we go, yeah, Adam and Eve were in the garden and they walked in the presence of God. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's, it's a much bigger deal than that. But sin separated man from God. Colossians 1.20, and through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. Okay, this begs the question, why would there need to be reconciliation if there weren't first separation? See, the reason God had to reconcile everything to himself through Christ is because sin separated man from God. Sin didn't separate God from man. Sin separated man from God. And Jesus, as the Son of God, was the one God sent to deal with this separation. Here's another way to say it. Jesus was and is the place where God and man meet. Jesus was and is the place where God and man meet. Now, when we talk about the fact that Jesus, fully God, fully, fully man, during his 33-year run on the earth, think about the absolute theological brilliance of this as we talk about reconciling man back to God. The only mediator who can bring God and man together is one who is both God and man. This was the why. Why did Jesus need to be fully God and fully man? Because only a mediator who is fully God and fully man could go to God and say, listen, I get you. I am you. I get you. Understand. Understand the problem. And go to man and say, listen, I get you. Was there for 33 years. Lost my dad. I get you. I get you both because I am both. As he walked the face of the earth, fully man, fully God. It's brilliant. And it was the way God said, hey, I want to be so reconciled to a separated you that I sent Jesus to bring us back together. Isaiah 59 verse 2 shines light on this very thing. But your iniquities, my iniquities, have made a separation between you and your God. Sin separates us from God. Here's the third thing. God solved man's number one problem. Before you get too bent out of shape, especially if you don't know Jesus yet and you're very aware of all of the junk that you've done and you're embarrassed by it, 
Before you get too far, understand, God solved man's number one problem. Keep going in Colossians 1.20. God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Okay, this is a loaded theological verse here. God made peace with everything. Why would God need to make peace with everything? Here's why. Because scripture plainly says, not only was I separated from God because of sin, but sin caused me to be at war with God. I was an enemy of God before Christ because of sin. God solved this problem. He made peace. God has not declared war on the world. At the cross, he declared peace. This is a gospel of peace. Of course the enemy is trying to get us all to fight with one another. There is no worse advertisement for a gospel of peace than a warring family who's been given the message. Think about it like this. Have you ever been to a sporting event and you park your car and you're walking to the stadium and there's some guy with a megaphone holding a Bible verse sign and what is he typically doing? Okay, every once in a while you see you know, someone sweet, but most of the time, what are they doing? They're, they're giving it the old turn or burn message. You know what I'm saying? You're going to hell. Okay, I get all of that theologically. I get it. Let's just think about this. Is hate an appropriate advertisement for love? Is war an appropriate advertisement for peace? This is a gospel of peace. So why would we ever allow ourselves to war with one another? We're sending the wrong message. Just, just think about this. It, 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 I, I tell people, when you're leading somebody to Christ, use the same tone you would use if you're married with your spouse on a date. Not the romantic one, okay? The sweet one. Would I go on date night? On Friday night with my wife. And when she, I, I say, hey, where would you like to go eat? And she says, I think I'm in the mood for Italian. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's ridiculous. I can't even do it justice. Okay, help me understand how hate is an appropriate advertisement for love, capital L. It's not. See, God was the one that solved man's number one problem. And the problem was separation from him. But God, who is rich in mercy and grace, solved our problem. And yet we are taking a, a fallen humanity. We're taking the eyes of the lost off of the beautiful message of the gospel so they can watch us all war with one another in public. Christians at war with other Christians is a recklessly confusing advertisement for a gospel of peace.
We're just giving them an excuse not to receive this gospel of peace. Here's the next part. God's solution is available to all. Now, theologically, and it happened in the last service, I got a great question after from a young man uh, who's on the, on the other side of the aisle theologically for me on this. I understand I'm, what I'm giving you in this point is my perspective, okay? So I know that there are those who believe that God didn't die for all, he died for the elect, okay? I, I personally believe the foreknowledge of God. God knew who, of course, absolutely, but God also gave us the power to choose. And unfortunately, that's a really powerful thing. Now, you and I might disagree on that theologically. It's okay. I've got very close friends who are amazing, love God with all their heart, and we see this differently. And what I would say is simply, my burden for evangelism would be explained like this. I'm not God, and, and so let's say I believe in the elect. And I believe there are verses that, that can back that up. Let's say I believe in the elect. I'm not God. I don't know who the elect are. And so I'm going to spend all my days sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with every person as though God has already chosen them. It's just the most simple way I can explain that. Okay? So even if you and I disagree, don't get hung up on this. And I'm just going to give you just two verses. All right? And, and please just see the beauty. I'm not trying to fight with anybody. Please just see the beauty of this all-encompassing sacrifice Jesus made. Colossians 1.21, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Here's who this is speaking to. We all have people in our lives who right now don't know Jesus yet, and here's their thought. I'm just really bad. And people don't even know how bad the bad I've done really is. And I just don't think a perfectly holy God could ever love someone as unholy as me. And every once in a while, I'll be in a discussion with someone who doesn't know Jesus yet personally, and they will say, Preston, you just don't know how bad I am. Okay, let me just give you a, a little tip when you're sharing Christ with someone and they make that statement. When I hear that, I get so excited I can hardly contain myself. Here's why. When a lost person understands their badness, they are this close to understanding God's goodness. The much harder case is when somebody's like, I don't care. I'm bad. I don't care. I know what's wrong. I don't care. That's, that's harder. But when someone says, Preston, you don't know how bad I am. I get so excited. Because to me, that's evidence that God is working on their hearts. And he's not saying to them, you're bad. It's that they're beginning to hear him say, I want to tell you how good I am. And all of us fall short of a perfectly good God. And so when he begins to talk about how good he is, there are times I go, man, I'm bad. <laughs> You're so good, I am bad. His solution isn't just available to some. 
It's available to all. First John chapter two, verse two is one of the passages I love that for me backs this teaching up. Jesus himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. This is speaking to believers. Okay, now for some of us, it's as though our Bible ends there. Jesus is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. But that's not the end of verse two. It goes on, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Jesus is the solution for all the sins. Now, does everyone choose to receive what Christ did? Unfortunately, no. But Jesus died for their sin too. No matter how bad your sin is, the good news of the gospel is Jesus died for it. So that you didn't have to walk around, not just for the rest of your life, but for all eternity, carrying around a sign with all of your worst deeds. But not just that. The why behind what Jesus did was to spend forever with you. That brings us to the last part of this gospel message. The result of this solution is eternally mind-blowing. The result of God's solution to sin, your sin and mine, is eternally mind-blowing. Not temporarily emotional. It's eternally mind-blowing. Colossians 1.22, this is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible, in my opinion. Colossians 1.22, yet now he has reconciled you, God has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, here's the result of God's solution to the problem and your acceptance of it. As a result, God has brought you where? Into his own presence. Wrap your mind around that for a moment. The God of the universe, as a result of what Christ did and your acceptance of it, brings you into his presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before God without a single fault. Do we just read that the longer we've been walking with Christ and go, yeah, I know. Are we so convinced of how far we were from him and how impossible it would have been for us to solve the problem? Are we so mindful of that, that every time we even think about the gospel, we're undone Because without it, not only would we spend forever in hell, we would spend forever apart from his presence. But God, who is so rich in his mercy and grace, sent Jesus to grab you by the hand and reconcile you to the Father. You and I screwed this thing up in sin. But God presented a solution I'm just going to shoot straight with you. I feel like there are a lot of believers right now more passionate about their politics than they are about this message. And it's heart-wrenching. 
Because I don't know if, if you're watching what's going on right now. I mean, how many of us woke up a couple mornings ago and saw that 10 million acres in the middle of our country, 10 million acres of crops were completely leveled by wind, completely ruined. 43% of the entire state of Iowa's soybean and corn crop was leveled in a day. It's not pretty out there. People need to hear the gospel more than ever before. Yes, we've got an election in what, 10 weeks? But Jesus is coming again soon. Why would we talk about anything else right now? My politics can't save my lost friends. Only Jesus can do that. When someone's rejected you the way I got rejected, it changes the way you feel when someone fully receives you. And I don't ever want this to be a church where we're blah about the gospel, especially in this day. And you don't have to be the megahorn, megaphone, bullhorn carrying screamer. You just need to represent Jesus everywhere you go. Here's point number two. Flip over to 2 Corinthians 5, if you got your Bible. Reconciliation is a ministry, and we're just going to breeze through this. Reconciliation isn't just a message, it's a ministry. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Please, oh God, help us not to read verses like this and be blah. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Now watch this next sentence. We're going to key in on this. And God has given us, speaking to believers, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. How can we read a verse like that and be like, uh, this is such a good book. He doesn't count your sins against you anymore. When you get to heaven, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're not going to go on a stroll with God and then be like, hey, you remember that time? Preston, you were an absolute idiot. No! Oh. You may want to remember those things. You're going to be so swept up in the presence of God, and the only reason you're going to get that chance is because of what Jesus did for you. He doesn't hold your sin against you anymore. Verse 20. So we, believers, are Christ's ambassadors. 
God is making his appeal through us. Just try and wrap your mind around that. See, a lot of us think about evangelism, sharing the gospel, as something only the Billy Grahams do. God only makes his appeal through the Billy Grahams. Wrap your mind around this. God handpicked you as one of his children to be one of his ambassadors. And he wants to make his appeal through you every day of your life with the people who do not yet know him personally. He could use anyone. Don't look at the preachers and go, they're the ones God uses to make his appeal. Wrong. We're just meant to be the ones to remind all of God's children, you're the ones. As a child, not a preacher, as a child, I've been selected as one God wants to make his appeal through. Do you understand how important that makes you? And yet many of us wake up every day and his appeal isn't even on our radar. And yet there's someone he's weeping over. He desperately wants to reach, make an appeal to through you. And if we have flipped off the switch of the gospel, we speak for Christ. This is still verse 20. When we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Are you serious? You don't count my sin against me any longer? You did all of this so that I could be made right in your sight? We got a bunch of people walking around who are really keyed in on how they look in their own sight. You don't know how bad I am. I'm really bad. That's how you see you. I get it. You've done some bad things. God sent Jesus to change. Listen, it doesn't matter as much how I see me. What matters most is how God sees me. And scripture says, once we become a believer in Jesus, he sees us as holy and blameless. You know how many people fall asleep at night beating up on themselves and they don't know Jesus? And they wake up in the morning and they see Christians beating on one another on social media. When they were hoping to wake up and see a solution to their problem. And yet what they saw was more of their problem perpetuated. This one sentence, I just want to break it down quickly. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. First part, God has given us. The gospel is the best message you've ever received, but it's also the best gift you will ever give. God has given us. He's given us. This ministry, this message of reconciliation. Second part, God has given us the task. This is an important word. Many of us see evangelism as an opportunity thing. I share Jesus when there's an opportunity. Okay, the ministry of reconciliation is not opportunistic. It's not about opportunity. It's about task. We've been given a responsibility. See, I see opportunities differently than I see tasks. Opportunities I get to some of the time. Tasks are meant to be gotten to all of the time, especially when God gives them. 
John 20, verse 21, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. He could have picked anybody he wanted. Think about this. Jesus said the same way the Father sent me. I send every one of my disciples. I'm sending you. Do we live our everyday lives as those who are sent? I don't know. But it doesn't change the fact that we are. Jesus has sent us. We are commissioned by Christ every day of our lives to take this message of reconciliation, this gospel of Jesus Christ, into every room we ever walk into. And here's the last part of reconciling people to him. Let me just read 2 Corinthians 5.20 again. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Listen to these next words. We speak for Christ. When we plead, come back to God. A Christian who goes quiet on the gospel is one who is sending the message, God is no longer making an appeal. There are those who are sitting in a room right now crafting a message of how to get a man elected. And at the very same time, there are some people sitting in a room right now talking about how to get a man saved, how to get a woman saved. The gospel has always been important. But the worse things get, the more important the message gets. And one of the ways we show how important this gospel message is, is we play our role as sons and daughters of the Most High God, as ministers carrying the message of reconciling man back to God. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.